brand new series where the, for the next few weeks, you know, we, we say this Nicene Creed almost every single Sunday, and uh, we're going to go through and, and look at it line by line, and each section, we're going to talk about it over the next few weeks. And so um, I want you to get ready for that. It's going to be a great series, and we're really going to challenge some of the conventional ideas of our own culture as we look at the creed and why we say it and what we believe about God. So the title of the series is called We Believe. We Believe, all right? So um, I want you just to... um, I want you just to pray here for a moment. Let's, let's dig in. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your truth. Thank you that it comes alive in us as we look at the scriptures, as we open it up. Lord, would you show us your wisdom, show us your revelation, and then empower us to do what you've called us to do as your people, to believe well and to live well. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I have five kids, as most of you know, and, uh, and we, we used to live in Colorado. And uh, in Colorado, there are um, no cool eating places. Uh, before I came to Austin and, and learned how to hate chain restaurants, um, we, we used to have to choose from an assortment of pretty terrible restaurants. But there was one that we just loved. One that we, our family, we just gravitated toward. And it was an incredible experience. It was like a, a Disney land for food. It was, it was so impressive. I mean, they had everything you could ever ask for. My wife loved it. My kids loved it. Everybody loved it. It was an incredible place to go. Yes, I speak of the Golden Corral. <laughs> The Golden Corral is an incredible place. It has any kind of food that you want. And and my wife loved it because it made everybody happy. All the kids could be happy. You could eat whatever you wanted. We just send them out and they'd come back with plates of food that they actually liked. They could choose what they liked and they could leave what they didn't. You could even put food on your plate and try it. And if you didn't like it, somebody would come and take your plate and you could go get a new one and get whatever you wanted. It was an incredible place. I want to suggest to you that um, American spirituality kind of looks like this. That we live in a culture where people take a little bit of this and take a little bit of that and they, whatever they think they want of God, they kind of take it and they put it on their plate and sometimes, you know, they don't like it so they just put it back and, and, and so whatever you like, you take whatever you dislike, you don't believe and there's a, there's a problem here in our culture with the way that we believe. Very often we'll take a little, little Christianity Take a little bit of Gnosticism, maybe a little bit of uh, Buddhism, Hinduism. We'll kind of put it all together with some secular humanism, and we'll mix it all together and make Oprah our bishop. (laughs) This, This is the challenge that we have before us as believers in God. And I find that even in our own churches, 
we don't have an accurate picture of God and who he really is. We make him in our own image. And we just, we believe what we want to about him instead of what the scriptures teach. And so what we're doing here as we look forward is we're going to ask ourselves the questions, do, do we believe well? Do we believe in a way that is reflective of who God is and who he's called us to be as his people? There was a national youth study on religion. It was a national study on, on youth and religion by a guy named Christian Smith. And he put a, together this team and they interviewed thousands of young people and teenagers. It actually spawned a book called, um, uh, uh, let's see, Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And, and it was, it's an incredible study at the, in the early 2000s. And as they studied these teenagers, they found that the faith that they actually believed in didn't have anything to do with Christianity. These are Christian, these are supposedly Christian young people. Now they didn't use this term, the, the teenagers, they didn't use this term, but the, but the researchers came up with a term to define what the teenagers actually believed. When they put all the material together, all the studies together, they came up with this term, moralistic therapeutic deism. That this is what American Christian young people actually ended up believing. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, what does that mean? It means we should be good. Got to do good things. Got to make good things happen. Be nice, be fair as taught in the Bible, but interestingly enough by many other world religions. Therapeutic means feel good. We want it to feel good. The things they believe, the, the, the goal of life is to be happy, and the goal of life is to feel good about oneself. I just want to feel good. Deism. Deism is a term for a disconnected and distant deity. A disconnected and di distant deity that, that is described in all of these studies as, as these teenagers would talk about their faith. They, they essentially said God does not particularly need to be involved in my life and except when there's a really important need that I need him to resolve, a, a problem I need him to come and rescue me from. They essentially found that what these Christians believed, they claim to be Christians, they believe in a God who is far away, who wants them to do good and wants them to feel good. That's not the God of the Bible. It is not the God of the scriptures. It is not the God of Christianity. And it is difficult sometimes in our culture to, to listen to all the voices that are speaking to us and to know who to believe and who to trust. There's loads of people who are popular and will tell you all kinds of things that you want to hear, but it's hard to distinguish between popularity and credibility sometimes. And I think we're going to open up the scriptures here and we're going to look at this creed. And it's always been my desire at One Chapel to be a church that is rooted in history with room for mystery. What does that term mean? It means that we need to be rooted in the, the, the history of what God has been doing in the church, in his people, for all these centuries, all the way back to Jesus. That we're rooted in the history of God's people, even into the Old Testament, and understand where we've come from. 
but also open to the mystery that God is actually moving, active. He's engaged by the Holy Spirit. He's involved in what we're doing now. It is rooted, but it is it leaves room for the mystery of God's work. And that's why we have chosen to do a couple things in our worship liturgy, and that our worship liturgy, and that is to have creed and communion. Just about every Sunday at one chapel, our worship will include the Nicene Creed or another reading that is historic for the church and a a moment of coming to the Lord's table. And there, there's two things that have lasted through the centuries. No matter if it was the Dark Ages or whether it was all, all the liturgy of the church was in Latin so that nobody could understand it or whether or not it was right at the beginning, two things have lasted through the centuries of the church and they are creed and communion. And so we are, that's, that's one, of the, one of the reasons we do this every week the other thing that I think we're into is we are into serious biblical illiteracy in our country. People don't know what to believe about God because so many things have been thrown around. The good news is we're not the first ones to experience this. The Apostle Paul actually experienced this, which is why he warned the believers at Colossae, in Colossians 2.8, he said, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. There were lots of options. There, listen, we live in a spiritual environment. There is a spiritual reality to our lives. And so we have to understand that there are, there are ideas and philosophies that want to sway us and turn us. And this is what was happening in Paul's day, and it's what happened as time began to create distance between Jesus walking the earth and the, the early church fathers. The disciples began to teach what Jesus taught, but then second and third generations, there was some other things that started to be taught, and there, wasn't, there weren't any guards to say, hey, that's not what Jesus said. And there was, there was ideas flying everywhere in the third century. And people were fighting. It was a very religious culture, and they were fighting over these things. And uh, I, I, we, we went, we went, our family went to bowling uh, last night, and, and we, um, we, we bowled down at Evo Entertainment Theaters, and it was awesome. And they have this really cool thing called bumper guards. Bumpers, right? So you, when you bowl, you, ne you never have to bowl a gutter ball. <laughs> I love those things. I say that the kids need them, but I actually use them. So, so I think what, what, what we discover and what we realize is that all through history, we've needed some guards. We've needed things written down. We've needed to understand who God is. And at each, at each season on the life and the history of God's people, you will see this happening all the way from the Old Testament and Moses beginning by writing down the first five books of the Bible all the way to the early church fathers trying to deal with heresy and trying to deal with alternative ideas. We see this happening. And so the Nicene Creed comes from the Council of Nicaea. Nicaea was a city in Bithynia, Sorry, Bithynia in the Roman Empire, what is now modern Turkey. And 
It, this happened in 325 AD, and then they had some, some more uh, interaction over several years until 381 when the, the final creed was settled, and the creed we say today um, was finally settled. So the question is, why did they need to do this? They were countering a threat. And the threat came from, uh, uh, the driving threat came of a, from a guy named Marcion of Sinope. And he was a, was a guy who was teaching that there were two gods, not one, and one God of the Old Testament, one God of the New Testament. And as a, as a part of that teaching then, it became clear that Jesus' divinity was coming into question. He was saying that there was a lesser God in the Old Testament and a greater God in the New Testament, a God of, uh, of wrath in the Old Testament, a God of love in the New Testament. They were two different ones. And as a result, Jesus was not actually the son of God. And this was a problem for the early Christians. And so, and so they, they, they put this council together and actually um, it was brought together by Constantine, the emperor Constantine. And, and Constantine brought all the bishops and all the leaders together and, and they began to talk about these things and nail them down and, and wrestle through them. And they really, it's important to understand that they were formalizing. Everybody say formalizing. They were formalizing what had been believed and what had been taught already. They weren't coming up with new stuff. And, uh, and so there's a, there's an idea that, you know, some people have with Constantine, oh, I've heard, I heard he was a really bad guy and he manipulated everybody and he, he created uh, this council to manipulate the masses and used it as political oppression and made Rome the, 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 the state religion was Christianity. Why? Because he was trying to control the people. But listen, listen, it's, it, this, isn't, this isn't true. The church fathers were writing these ideas that came out of the Council of Nicaea. They were writing these things early, early on in the life of the church, into the, the 100s, which is just after the season and time of the apostles. I mean, it's incredible. People uh, that were writing these letters, some of them... Irenaeus, Ignatius, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, Augustine, they wrote letters with ideas and phrases that were pulled into the creed. And some of these men were going to their death in these letters. They were, they were being martyred and they were writing what they believe and why they believe and why they're willing to give their lives for it. You have to realize where this was coming from. And so today, that's, that's kind of people's secular response. Oh, Constantine, he was just manipulating the masses. If that's the secular concern, then the, the, maybe the Christian concern is, well, Pastor Ross, why do, we need the, why do we need the creed? We have the Bible. We just need the scriptures. These are men's words. We need God's words. Well, actually, the truth is the Council of Nicaea was also the same council that was dealing with the canon <laughs> or the scripture. In other words, which books go in the Bible and which do not based on, based, generally based on proximity to the events that happened you know was it late or was it early was it was it did it have a good proximity to the events or could they establish the authorship in general and so that's what that's what that council was trying to deal with and so these were godly men praying men these were people that had committed their lives to God and and they're trying to help people understand what they should believe now you have to remember that people didn't have a bible 
At this time, there was no Bible. You couldn't go, well, well, let me check on what Tertullian said because I think that's really important to figure it out. And I want to measure it against the scripture. No, that, that, that didn't exist. So there was an attempt to try to establish a, a core belief system for Christianity. And so there's no reason to pit the scriptures against the creed. They are collaborative elements. They coordinated together. And these, these men, these people, while they were imperfect, they began, to, um, they began to pull together these ideas and bring together these thoughts and these concepts. And listen, we are no different today. We are no different today. There are counterfeit ideas surrounding us even now. Think about it. Who are you listening to? Who do you listen to most who, who, who gives the most influence into the way you think? Is it Fox News? Yeah. <laughs> Is it your professor at school? Is it your dad? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, that's my dad who said that. So... So listen, listen, if you think about what influences are coming into you, there are competing influences for what the scriptures have to say about who God is. And we have to be considerate of this. We have to think about it because the only insurance against counterfeit, you know what it is? To be immersed in the truth. Bankers, the way they teach them how to recognize counterfeit money is they don't ever let them touch it. They just touch the real stuff. And then they see it, and when they see the counterfeit, it's obvious. They immerse themselves in the real thing, and then the counterfeit becomes obvious. And so, and so there's, a, there's a real understanding that has to be embraced as a, as a Christian, as a church, that there are people who've gone before us who have died for these things, these concepts. These are not just random things that have been taught generally in a, you know, as a, as a new idea. These are ancient beliefs that have their roots in the writings of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the phrases are pulled from the Old Testament and New Testament. And so the first thing I want you to understand about the creed is that it is an instrument of unity. It is the only statement of Christian belief that can be embraced and affirmed by every stream of the body of Christ. Protestant, Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, denominational, non-denominational. Some of you listen to that list and you're like, I don't know if I want to be in that group. Or is, is, that, is that true, Pastor Ross? Yes, it is. And there's something that we have to understand. We, part of the, the role of the creed was to help Christians unify around core beliefs. My family and I have a, 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 a little plaque that we have at our house. I brought it this morning. And it says, remember, as far as everyone knows, we are a nice, normal family. <laughs> And, 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 and we, we, this is where everybody could see it. And, um, and the, but there's a thing that you have to understand about the parsleys. We teach our kids certain things. We love God. We defend each other. We take care of people. We serve the church. We've always served the church. Um, my wife and I are both pastor's kids. We serve 
in the body of Christ as part of our existence. It's part of the reason we exist as a family, is to make the church of Jesus Christ healthy and whole. We, we, uh, we tell the truth, we do the right thing, we're generous. My, I was thinking my little boy, Ethan, is back in the back right now working in bigs. He's, he's working AV tech. He thinks it's a huge deal. And it is. And so we all look different, if you look at the Parsley family. We all have a little bit different look. Uh, we have unique personalities for sure, with seven people living in that house. But we hold to the same Parsley creed. This is how Christians are and should be. And so the creed is sharp enough to exclude and strong enough to unify. I think we have to understand that it, it excludes some ideas and some beliefs. I was, I was having a, a meeting with a, a, a young lady who was part of our church, and this was several months ago, but she had joined a group, an outside group of some sort with a bunch of ladies from a lot of different churches and they had a mentor that was kind of taking them through some ideas and helping them in their lives and she began to say questionable things and she began to, to direct their attention to other sources uh, to, uh, to help them understand their spirituality. And so they, I think she actually said, listen, Jesus is great. He's such a great guide. But there are other spirit guides that come along as well and help you figure out who God is. Now, the creed and the scriptures teach that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. In a few weeks, we're gonna talk about Jesus. We're gonna talk about Jesus over and over again because, because there, Jesus is the issue. And, and the creed has a whole bunch of segments about Jesus because pe that's where people stumble. That's where people struggle. They're like, well, I want to believe this over here, and I want I'm not sure I want to believe in judgment. I'm not sure I want to believe in that. I'm not sure I want to believe that he's the judge. I just want to believe he's the shepherd. Right, so the creed helps us understand that and helps us uh, embrace what is true. It's like a, a wagon wheel. If you see a, a, a wagon wheel, as you, the closer you get to the center, right, the closer you are to each other. The creed is like the center. And there's a, seg there's a, there's a, a, a way that we gravitate to one another. The farther away we get from the center, the farther away, we, farther away we get from each other. The further away we get from each other. Now listen, Jesus prayed about this. In John 17, here's what he said. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. He's praying for his disciples. <clears throat> I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Everybody say one. one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you sent me. Here's the thing that I want you to see about this scripture from John, is that John is recording Jesus's prayer and Jesus is saying there is a way that people discover who I am. And the way that people discover who I am is when they see a group of people who are different, who are unique in their own experiences and demographics and the, their own interests and their own backgrounds and they see this group of people and they all drop their labels and they say we belong to Jesus. We are one group of people, one body. Listen, in our culture, whenever anybody agrees about anything, it's a miracle. 
So when they see a community of people that agree together on these things and they share together and they're not angry and fighting with each other all the time, I think there's an evangelistic dynamic to that. And that's, that's what Jesus is talking about. And so the, the creed is an instrument of unity. Number two, the creed is an outline of theology. It's an outline of, of theology. And the way the kids used to trace their, their alphabets, you remember this? Like it used to be kind of an outline of the, of the letter and you would just draw it. I remember it vividly. I would draw it and, and I, I had a hard time with R because that's my name and so R was really important to me. So I had to practice it a lot. And, and you outline it and the creed is kind of like an outline for theology. We learn the alphabet of faith by learning from this creed. <laughs> Some of you are like, an outline of theology, wait a minute, I don't need theology, Pastor Ross. I don't, need, I don't need to learn a bunch of theology, I got Jesus. I just need Jesus to love me and I love him and that's all we need. Listen, actually, the truth is everybody has a theology. Every person in the room is a theologian. The only question is whether or not it's any good. Whether or not you're any good at theology, because everybody has a belief, everybody has a view of God that they espouse and that they, 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 they subscribe to. And we have to understand that we're all theologians walking around helping people discover who Jesus is, who God is. 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4 says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will re follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. They'll chase after myths. I, I think the creed is a little bit like eating healthy food. It's, it's a bit like nutrition, right? It's, it's like true or false can you benefit from a healthy meal without knowing what makes it healthy? Of course you can. <laughs> of course you can. We got to get good food in us. But you, once you start making your own meals, you have to start knowing the principles of nutrition. I mean, nutritious food. You have to understand the stuff that comes in a box is not, is not healthy for you. <laughs> Anything in a box doesn't work. Ever, anything, that is, anything that is colorful is good for you. Anything that is brown, not necessarily. <laughs> right? Everything we eat should be bright and colorful versus dark and brown. What about potatoes? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. I love potatoes. Not necessarily that great for you. My wife's like, yes, they are. <laughs> what we have, you, you got to understand that Fast food is not as good for you as slow food. All food that's healthy for you takes time to make. All food that, has, that is made fast, not necessarily healthy. So if you're going to feed yourself, which we all need to do, we all need to be, we need to know the principles of health, the principles of nutrition. That's what the creed does for us. Number three, the creed is a guide in uncertainty. It's a guide in uncertainty. Well, I was hiking off trail in the Weminucci wilderness almost two years ago with the team here at One Chapel. And we were going for team building and we were having a great time. We were led by Mountain Gateway um, and their whole crew and Britt Hancock. And he was leading us uh, across the Weminucci mountains and it was amazing. 
and Nate and, and Nate Emmert, who's the community pastor at Kyle, and, and Marty Irwin, who led worship here th- uh, this morning, we were together, and we were on a team on the last day, and we had to, we had to go to the extraction point. We had to cross uh, rivers and mountains, and we had, to, we, we had to do it by ourselves without anybody leading us. And uh, that was really scary, and we got lost. And then we realized that we weren't really lost. We were just confused. And, you know, isn't that weird? It's like we thought we were lost, but we were really just confused. We, we had confused the map. And actually, I think that happens spiritually all the time. I don't know where God is. I can't find him. I'm totally confused. No, he's right there. You're just confused. I, 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 one of the things that stuck out to me as we hiked through these mountains is every time we could find a deer trail or a trail of, that somebody had had made into the, into the pathway there, uh, we, we, it's amazing how confident we felt and how quickly things progressed when we used the trail. Now, some, way, some places we couldn't use the trail, so we had to go off, off the trail. But listen, it's, it's so comforting to know somebody else has walked that trail as you're walking it. Somebody else has made a way for you. And that's the way the creed is. People have made a way for us. People have come before us and they've wrestled with these ideas and with these beliefs. And so in a moment of uncertainty, you can trust that there's been people who've given their lives for these ideas. And, and they help us grapple with who the Father is and who Jesus is and how we benefit from them. And it's kind of like in the, in, the, in the olden days, you know, when, when the barn was way out from the house and and in the snowstorm you had to have a rope that was from the house to the barn and so the huge um, wintry snow storms would come and you couldn't even see the barn and if you went out in the house out of the house to try to get something from the barn you might get confused and disoriented and, and and die out there and so they tied a rope from the house to the barn and you just used that rope all the way and you could get to the barn and then you could get back to the house this is kind of what the creed is like it is a guide in uncertain times, in uncertainties, in, a, in difficult moments. Like the, like the man who said to Jesus, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. That's what it is. Just quickly, I want to talk about why we say we believe in. Because if this had been created, if the, the bishops and the pastors would have created it from Austin or from Boston or, or from L.A. or New York, they might have started the creed with, I know that, instead of we believe in. I know that, instead of we believe in. But we say we believe in for a reason. First, we We instead of I. Here's what Paul said. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And each of you is a part of it. What Paul was saying is you're connected. You are connected to other people. Christianity is a communal religion. Communal faith. It is not an individualized spirituality. You belong to a group of people. Not just the people who are alive today, but the people who have gone before us. And so, I don't know if you realize this, but the body, the human body, compensates for every wound and every hurt. When you're in trouble, when you're in a funk, 
When you just feel like, I don't know if I can do this. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what's true. I'm not sure. There's a group of people that you can cling to, that you belong to, that can support you and undergird you. And the, the we of faith, we, our faith together is so much stronger than the I of faith by myself. The eye of faith by myself. Sometimes it just isn't strong enough to, to wrestle through it, especially if you think, well, I have to verify and validate every single element of the creed and all the scriptures. I have to verify and validate it myself. And I have to figure it out. Listen, you do need to learn. You do need to grow. You and I, we need to grow, but we grow together. We don't grow separately. And we, in, in American Christianity, we're very individualistic Many, many people wrestle with your, their doubts. Listen, what I want One Chapel to be is a place where you can wrestle with your doubts, but you can hang on to a rope that'll lead you to the right place. I want you to be able to be in a family where it's okay to work through the funk that you feel like you're in. I'm not sure I believe this or that. I don't know what I think about this in the Bible. I'm not sure. Listen, hang on to the rope. Hang on to the people around you. Let the, the great we of the faith, the great history, the great story of the church, the great story of history, the great story of the scriptures and God's people, let us cling to each other. And the worst thing that people do when they go through a, this season of doubt is they say, I don't, well, I'm just not going to go to church. I'm just going to get rid of it because I don't want to go and be a hypocrite. And, and sometimes they, there's just one or two little things that they're really stuck on. And a whole bunch of things that are really still important to them, but they get stuck on this, on this little thing. And one of the things that I say to people when they're talking about their real doubts is I say, listen, it's okay. It's okay for you to be in process here. It's okay for you to work through this together. As a family, as a people, you belong here. Let the we of faith come around you. Would you be willing to come and confess your faith, even though you don't, maybe you're struggling with different little parts of it, but you would believe in a greater faith, a faith of people who've come before you. Number two, believe instead of no. We believe instead of no. Something in us wants certainty. Something in us as Americans and, and modern Westerners, we want scientific measurements. We want proofs. We want demonstrations. We want to make sure we know how it works. And I want to be careful here because I don't want to say that Christianity is irrational. It is a reasoned religion. It is a reasoned faith. And I want us to, I want us to understand that and, and, and embrace it. But I don't think we ever get to the place where we have so much certainty that we don't need faith. There is no way in the Christian faith to get to the place where you have so much certainty that you don't need any more faith. Faith is a way to live. The scriptures say I live by faith and not by sight. And it's actually the uncertainty. It's actually because of the uncertainty that we need faith. And so when we say we believe in these things, we're not saying we know every little part of it. We're not saying we've measured all of it. We're not saying that logically we've scientifically proven that these things are the way they are. It's a leap. And we say, we believe. We believe. 
Hebrews 11.6 says it's impossible to please God without this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. One of the early church fathers named Anselm, he said this. He said, faith seeking understanding. Have faith seeking understanding, not the other way around. The creed says, I believe even if I don't know. Number three is in. We believe in instead of that. I know that. Listen, here's, here's, here's a perfect analogy. I know that I should work out. I know that I should exercise. I know that I should work out, but I might not do it. But if I really believe in exercising and a healthy lifestyle, I go to the gym. In is about immersing yourself. In is about being willing to be involved. In is, is about being willing to, to lead yourself, your heart, your mind to action. You believe in. James 2, 19 says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Even demons believe in, in God, like, right, like, like, like believe that there is a God, but what we're saying is we believe in this and I'm gonna immerse myself in it. I'm gonna surrender everything to it. I'm gonna release my life. I'm not, going to, I'm not gonna practice a, 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 some kind of mental assent to who God is. I'm going to surrender everything in faith. I'm gonna yield everything. I'm gonna surrender my life to him. Total surrender. That's what this is. We believe in. God wants us to surrender our lives to this. We're not going to get to the second half. We'll do that in the coming week. And so I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to bow your heads here. And I want you to think about what total surrender means. For some of you, it's really tough because the leap is so big, you're, you're afraid to take the leap. For some of you, in the way you're wired and the way you feel about Christianity or even the claims of Jesus Christ himself, you're still wrestling. Could I tell you that wrestling is good and that you're welcome to wrestle here? And, and I want in this moment, as we come to the Lord's table, for you to listen to his voice and maybe ask him, where you're hesitating, where you're holding back, where you've chosen not to leap, where you've chosen not to jump, where you've chosen not to be immersed in him and his desires and his will and his purpose. And as we come to the, the, the table of the Lord Jesus, it is profound that we come here for this question because Jesus came to provide for that very struggle. He came to provide nourishment for that sickness, for that struggle. He came to provide for us in our sin, in our failures, in our foolishness. And so as you take the bread, and it represents the body of Jesus, and you take it in and you say, Jesus, I'm going to receive you. I'm going to believe. And then as you take 
the cup, you, you say, forgive me for insisting on my own way, my own foolishness. I want to be forgiven and I want to be healed. I want to believe. I want to be immersed in you. I want to I surrender to you. Teach me. Train me. Help me to be the person of faith who is seeking understanding. I want you to do that. Make that your prayer today. Father, as we come to you, we're just asking for you to lead us and guide us. Would you speak to each of us individually about where we are, what we, what we think, what we believe, and would you help us to surrender to you, to the body of Christ, to the people around us, the we of faith instead of the little I of faith, and would you help us, Lord, to become the person that you've asked us to be the person who's seeking after you, faith-filled, seeking understanding for who you are. We thank you for this as we come to this table. Now, would you bless it? Would you, would you cause it to have its effect in us? In Jesus' name, amen.